the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The promise given to Eve, the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. Shiloh, the one who is for her, would come through the line of Judah. So Judah is the line of King David. It will be the ultimate line of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. Well, that is Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Today's broadcast is entitled, Sent to Save. That's Sent to Save, and we hope that you enjoy it. Remember, you can always find it online at reachingyourheart.com. Thanks for listening to Reaching Your Heart today. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock, and you are always welcome. The broadcast is also streamed live at reachinghearts.org slash video. We'll have details on that and more as we continue with today's broadcast. Here is Pastor Michael Oxentango. Let's pray. Father, we're just so grateful today that in the life of Judah and in the life of Joseph, that we have examples of what it means to be sent to save and that you sent Jesus to save us. Father, there are times in every life when it is easy to feel that there's nothing savable. And yet, Father, we look at the story of Joseph, we look at the story of Judah, and we realize that you're in the saving business. May you save every person who comes to you in Jesus in faith And we thank you for the yes in that answer. In Jesus' name, amen. Judah pleaded with his father, Jacob, to let them go back to Egypt to buy food so they could save everyone and their family who was in need of food found only in the land of Canaan. I mean, they'd been to Egypt. They had this awful interaction with this ruler of Egypt, and now they wanted to go back because if they didn't go back, they wouldn't survive. And oh, that we were like Judah, that we would go when we are sent to save. Judah was sent to save. It took plenty of pleading with his father, Jacob. But finally, Jacob agreed to send them all, to send Judah, to allow Judah's plea to be actualized. And thus he became a leader. He was sent to save, but he took Benjamin, his younger brother, also. That's what the man had required in Egypt. When Jacob chose to let Benjamin go, he made the good decision to let his little boy grow up. Now, I have two sons. I have an older son. I have a younger son. My older son is the big brother. He kind of looks out for the little brother. But my younger son, in some ways, has surpassed him physically. He's in the military. He's heavily trained. He's special ops-minded. He can do a somersault just by standing on his feet. He can flip and land on his feet. I mean, I can't do that. I've never been able to do that. I mean, when he was a child, he'd be climbing a pole in the playground of the mall and man I said that looks like you know the gorilla and King Kong at the top of the pole that's my son up there highly able but because he was the little brother in the family you always want to protect the little brother in spite of the fact that he may have these awesome abilities 
And so Benjamin was never able to break out of the little brother mold because they were all protecting little brother. When Jacob chose to let Benjamin go, he made the good decision to finally let his little boy grow up and become a man. The overseer of the land of Egypt, who was really Joseph incognito, had told them not to appear before his face again without bringing their younger brother Benjamin to him. You bring that boy back, I'll know you're not lying. He had accused them all of being spies. And the only way to prove that they were honest men was to bring their younger brother back with them to him, and then I'll know you're telling the truth. Benjamin, the younger brother, Joseph's younger brother by Rachel, Remember, Rachel had the lamb-like eyes, like the ewe lamb. Of course, the wild cow, Leah means wild cow. It's fascinating how Jacob, in this world of polygamy, was trying to work through the fact that he had to marry Leah to get the one he wanted. And so Joseph was endeared to his heart. And so Benjamin, the younger brother of the wife he loved the most, with the other brothers also, the whole family, Judah leads these brothers as one, minus Joseph, down to Egypt to save the clan. So when we really look at the story in chapter 44 of Genesis, Judah was sent to save. Judah appears in the story of Joseph as the prototype of King David, the future leader and king for the 12 tribes of Israel that would form out of the Joseph narrative and that would define the character of the 12 tribes of Israel for the future nation yet to be. In fact, We know that out of this narrative, we will have specific revelation in Scripture that the scepter shall not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the gathering of the peoples. And the word Shiloh in Hebrew is a composite of three words. Shah, a relative pronoun, the one, la, who is for, ah, her. The promise given to Eve, the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of the serpent. Shiloh, the one who is for her, would come through the line of Judah. So Judah is the line of King David. It will be the ultimate line of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ. Eleven brothers in all left Canaan in their forward journey to save their father, their wives, and their children also. Judah led the way into Egypt because Judah was sent to save playing the role of a keen Egyptian wizard. And we talked a few weeks ago that Joseph was playing the role of a wizard or magician. Now, he didn't believe in that stuff, but he was using it to his advantage to try and figure out what was in the hearts of these brothers of his. And so he was larger than life, and Egypt was famous for this. Joseph was still in Egypt. He was waiting for their return. And so he was planning out how to divine the truth from these men to figure out what was in their hearts so he could know their character. And when they arrived back, Joseph gave a feast for them all. And then he loaded up their bags with plenty of grain and their money was hidden inside the mouths of the bags again. And then he put his sorcerer's cup, because that's what it was in Egypt. He put his sorcerer's cup in Benjamin's bag, the silver cup. The ancient Egyptians used silver cups, as I said before, to divine the future, to discern mysteries that only the gods can know. In fact, the silver cup was associated with Anubis, the god of the dead, the Jekyll god, who would weigh the heart against a feather, and if the pharaoh's heart was weighed down with evil deeds, the crocodile god could get you. And so all this was in the mind of the Egyptians. Joseph knew it was nonsense, but he played along to get what he wanted as an outcome to divine what was in these brothers' hearts. According to the Apostle Paul, and you've probably read this in 2 Timothy 3.8, Moses had to contend with two Egyptian wizards, Janus and Jambres. 
when he was trying to bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. Joseph had no use for a wizard's cup for magic. The Bible says sorcerers will have their place in the lake of fire. And he was no wizard at all, and he knew this, but he was smart. His mind was full of good ideas, full of God's ideas. He had a heightened idea of technology, and thus he seemed larger than life. Smart people can appear to be wizards. Now, when I think of smart people today who have changed the world in which we live, I think of Elon Musk. Has anyone here ever followed the exploits of Elon Musk? He has Asperger's syndrome. He's on the autism spectrum. He's a visionary. When people say it can't be done, he does it. He's shooting to populate the planet Mars by the end of the century. Amazing man, utterly amazing. But in the previous century, the one I think of is Thomas Edison, maybe Tesla. Tesla in every way it was like a wizard. He seemed to have almost this godlike insight into nature, but it was just heightened knowledge and technology and math ability. Edison was called the wizard of Menlo Park. So when your abilities get so high and when your technology is so smart, it can be thought by those who don't understand that you are a wizard. So Joseph commanded that his sorcerer's cup, the silver cup that the Egyptians would use it for, which was no doubt collecting dust on his trophy-filled shelf, be put to good use in a cleverly devised trick that would draw the truth from his brother's hearts. Joseph had to know for real if they were the same men that sold him into slavery. He would not reveal himself to them until he knew what was in their hearts. And when the cup was found in Benjamin's bag, Joseph's servants led them all back to Joseph for the encounter that would change all of their lives. Suddenly, the whole narrative, the story, is coming to a head in a dramatic way that only God can produce as a good outcome. Judah was sent to save. And when Joseph had them in his net, his magician's net, his very intelligent trap, It looked like Judah had led them all to their deaths. It looked like his mission was a failure. Look at Genesis 44, verse 13. The Bible says, Then they rent their clothes, and every man loaded his ass, and they returned to the city. Verse 14, When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there. So Joseph was at the house waiting for them to get there. And they fell before him to the ground, and Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed divine? He says, I'm the wizard of Egypt. I'm the person who holds the sorcerer's cup. Judah was sent to save. And now he was groping and hoping for a way to save their lives from a fearful man. Larger than life like Merlin the magician in King Arthur's court. Someone he could not reckon or understand. And his life was on the line. His family was on the line. He was sent to save and now they were sinking deep. Judah who was sent to save speaks up as the leader of the group. He stands for the whole of the clan to keep all the brothers together so Benjamin would not be left alone or be left behind. Judah stands for his younger brother. Genesis forty-four sixteen, and Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and he also, in whose hand the cup has been found. The Hebrew says literally, how can we be made righteous? How can we be made righteous? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Judah hasn't confessed to stealing the cup. He hasn't confessed to stealing the money. Neither is true because he didn't do those things. 
He hasn't confessed to that. You see, something else is coming out of Judah because of the crises that he's in. He confessed to the ruler, the heavyweight, that they have all been carrying all their lives since they sold Joseph into slavery. None of us are righteous. We're a pack of sinners, and this judgment is coming on us because we're deserving of it. They were guilty of blood guilt as they sold Joseph into Egypt, a crime that had reduced their father to a fearful wreck of an existence as a broken old man at that, waiting for his years to run out. They were guilty of high crimes. They were guilty of plenty of guilty things, like us at times. And so it all comes out at last in just a confession that Judah makes that God is holding us accountable for our iniquity. They had come to Egypt with the claim that they are 12 brothers, the sons of one father, with one brother who is dead. We are 12 brothers, they said. And now Judah assumes that they all will share a common fate of God's wrath since this man's silver cup was found in Benjamin's bag. They did not know that it was Joseph who stood there before them, who had very different plans for them than this. They did not know. Joseph knew. See, the secret of a magician, a trickster, is to know how to do the trick, to have the technology of the trick, but not to disclose it to the one who is looking at it. It's in the lack of knowledge that magic appears to be magic. Once you know what's going on, it's not magic anymore. Verse 17, but he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the man in whose hand the cup was found, that shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Now it looks like they're off the hook here, except one. It looks like this is the golden parachute they need to get out of trouble. The phrase translated in my translation, far be it from me, in Hebrew, is literally a flute for me or a pipe for me. Strange idiom. It's a Hebrew idiom for extreme absurdity, for extreme surprise, and perhaps even the possibility of profanity. Now, I'm not saying that's happening here. It's unlikely here, but it's an extreme exclamation. Far be it from me, no way. Pipe for me is what he's saying. Jesus said this about flutes and pipes in Matthew eleven sixteen to 17, reading from the New King James Version. But to what shall I consider this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned to you and you did not lament. We sometimes call a crazy idea that is fanciful or beyond hope a pipe dream. Have you ever heard of that? A pipe dream can't happen, but it's going to happen. And so if you believe that, it's a crazy idea beyond possibility, a pipe dream. Joseph is here telling Judah that his notion of them all staying together is a pipe dream. Only one person needs to stay behind Judah. You're not a collective, an individual pay for this crime, not the many. Intrinsic in Joseph's answer is the assumption that only a wicked man would act upon to save his life at the expense of the younger brother. Joseph offers him and the others a way out if they will sacrifice the one for the many. It is a test. Joseph says, let your younger brother stay with me and you, you sterling examples of brothers. You can go up in peace to your father without your brother with you. Go ahead, go on. You know, for them to entertain such an idea that would reveal a worthless character is the answer to the question that Joseph must hear divine. For them to do that, it would just show them that they were really a wreck and mess of a group of brothers. And so how they respond to this offer will define who they are. What kind of men would leave their younger brother behind 
so they could go home and draft some kind of self-righteous lie to make their father accept the tragic fate of the younger brother's death. What kind of men would do that? What kind of men could just go and then be at peace with themselves and their younger brother, knowing that they left him somewhere to die, they sent him away, they left him behind, and they're going to be okay? What kind of men could keep on living and going on like nothing mattered? We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. Joseph knew the answer to this question because that is exactly what these brothers did to him. And so Joseph does not allow them any kind of collective fate here. Pipe dream for you, maybe. But listen, I'm telling you, I got different music in play. Will they choose to leave as ten free men in peace Or will they stay behind for the sake of their half-brother? Will they be one or will they flee? It is and was a dangerous thing to approach a noble or monarch uninvited, to suddenly come into the presence of a person of power, knowing that they have bodyguards, to come right up to him without invitation is a dangerous thing. You take your life into your hands. And yet that's what Judah does. Judah suddenly approaches Joseph. Look at verse 18. Then Judah went up to him. Genesis 44, 18. Judah went up to him, that's Joseph, and said, O my Lord, let your servant, I pray you, speak a word in my Lord's ears, and let not your anger burn against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh himself. Now they had learned this kind of flattery from their manipulative dad, Jacob. Judah was desperate to try any trick he could pull out of his pipe dream trick bag to save his little half-brother and the rest of them also. And so he approached him, and he's now leaning on his wits, his intuitions, to get an interaction with this man face-to-face. At this point, Judah begins to rehearse what the man said to them all when they left the first time. He says, look, let me give you a history of what's happened here. We told him, that's our father, that you, we don't know who you are, That you said we couldn't go back to you without your younger brother with us, and so we can't get grain unless Benjamin comes here. That's the reason why it took so long to get back here to you. We told him exactly what you said. He didn't like it one bit at all. Because he attaches his very life to this youngest child of his, our little brother, our youngest brother, Benjamin. Even his name means son of the right hand. You can't cut off our daddy's right hand. Genesis 44, 27. Then Judah speaks, Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left to me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm befalls him, you will bring down my gray hairs in sorrow too. And what does the translation say there? Sheol. Now, people say, well, Pastor Mike, what does Sheol mean? Sheol is a word that appears in many translations. The word Sheol in Hebrew is the Hebrew word for the grave. He will bring down my gray hairs the grave. It was often associated with the Dead Sea, which is geographically the lowest spot on earth. The ancients thought of the sea as the underworld, the place where the dead lived. The River Jordan is named in Hebrew to go down. 
Jordan just means to go down. It's a verbal noun built off of a verb. And it means to go down because everyone sooner or later goes down to death. And the Jordan River flows all the way down to the lowest spot on earth, which is the Dead Sea. The deadest sea on earth, the lowest spot geographically, it represented the underworld in the minds of the ancients. The Dead Sea flows in the direction toward the lands of Upper and Lower Egypt as well. In the Bible, the spiritually speaking, Egypt represents the realm of the spiritually dead, a country of dead souls who don't need God, who rely on the material things of the world for their meaning here and in the afterlife. Also, Egypt was the first society in the history of the world that devised an afterlife where you could take everything you got here with you. You know, they had these massive pyramids, these burial tombs. They stored up the treasures of life and they packed them away with the Pharaoh because when he dies and his car would go and travel out and about and come back to his body every night, he'd have all the good things of life right there in his temple funeral complex. And so they were materialists, very much like communism. Some people say, well, communism is not that bad. People who say communism isn't bad don't know a thing about communism or history. More people have died at the hands of communism than any ideology in the history of man. At the heart of the communist worldview is the idea that the world is material. It is a reinvention of the ideas of the ancient Egyptians. The Protestant Reformation gave us the outcome of what we call the Industrial Revolution, the rise of the scientific model, the mechanical age. And intrinsic in the Reformation, its rediscovery of scripture, was the idea of wealth creation. That just as God said, let there be light, and God created, that through ideas, through innovation, through effort, wealth can be created. But communism says you can't create anything. You can redistribute wealth, but you can never create it. I was once talking to a pastor who was a leader in our church in one area, and he gave me the speech about how there's only so many pieces in the pie, and you can only use resources so much. If you take from here, it goes from there. And I said, sir, that's not the way it is. That's a socialist, communist worldview. There is energy, we know in physics, in the vacuum of space. Quantum fluctuations. You can draw energy from nothing in the universe in which we live. Zero point energy. God will never diminish the work here because we are emphasizing a work there. All ships will rise because he draws resources from the nothing of the space. We worship a God who said in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, let there be light in the void and darkness of a non-existent world. God is in the business of creating things. So we should never fall into the faithless ideology of the world. Communism came out of the French Revolution. It is the child of an Egypt-like philosophy reborn at the time of the end. The book of Daniel tells us that Egypt would come back in principle at the time of the end. French Revolution, communism, there it is. The Bible calls it the king of the south in the book of Daniel. So when we go south in life, we are going toward the world. We're banking on what we have. We're banking on the material things, not on the things of God. In the Bible, when you go south, you go down to Egypt. Remember Abraham went to Egypt? He had to come back to Bethel to recommit his life to God. In the Bible, when you leave Egypt, you go up to Canaan. Dear heart, let us not go to Egypt as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, but let us go to Canaan. As Christians, we need to be people who are going up, not people who are going down. Are you with me? Jacob said, you will make my gray hairs go down to Sheol. Sheol in Hebrew means literally to ask. 
I mean, it's a strange name for the grave. The grave, the word shield means to ask. Here's the question. Why would the grave be here defined as something people have asked for? The answer is intrinsic in the book of Genesis at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when Adam and Eve fell. God told them, he warned them directly, you eat of this tree, you're going to die. So when they chose to eat of the forbidden fruit, they chose, they asked for death in their lives. The shield is the place that means to ask because we've all asked for death in our sin connection to Adam. The human race has asked for the grave. It is the common human lot in our collective journey and consciousness that goes down to Sheol and to Egypt. Jesus rose from the grave. Are you with me? Christ rose from the grave because Christ offers us by faith and through his grace something we did not ask for. He offers us a way out of that which had trapped us in which we all went down. Judah continues in verse 30 with the importance of Benjamin to his father Jacob. Genesis 44, 30. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for today's Reaching Your Heart, entitled Sent to Save. We'll bring you the next portion of that broadcast the next time we get together. Thanks for being with us today. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland. 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video. Reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website. Reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.